The Spectator magazine combines incisive political analysis with books and arts reviews of unrivaled authority. Subscribe today for just £12 and receive a 12-week subscription in print and online, plus a £20 Amazon gift voucher, absolutely free. Go to spectator.co.uk forward slash voucher. Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American power, politics and society. On each episode, I will talk to an American expert or an expert on America about something that's going on in America in 2023. I'm delighted to be joined today by Andrew Coburn, who is the Washington DC editor of Harper's Magazine. And we're going to be talking about America's response to the developments in the Middle East. Um, Andrew, thank you for coming on to Americano. I thought I'd start by asking, Joe Biden has been pretty forthright as forthright in his condemnations of the attacks and also saying Israel has an absolute right to respond. There are some stories already in the sort of right-wing American press about the squad the uh, eight Democrats, progressive Democrats, who, unlike the bulk of the Democratic Party, seem to align with Palestine more than they do with Israel, um, and have been seem to have been making more pro-Palestinian noises, and there's been a bit of outrage about that. I wonder, first of all, what, what you make of that as a as a story. Well, you know, it's um, it's not surprising since you know they have been you know one of the distinguishing features of the squad of the the left or the left of the Democratic, you know, elected party, a congressional party, is, you know, they've always been uh, forthright to slightly varying degrees on, you know, the necessity to support Palestine, to offer a more balanced take on what, uh, on events in Middle East and the, in and Israel. So I'm not entirely surprised, and nor certainly I'm not surprised by the outraged response from the rest of the political spectrum. It's also worth noting that it wasn't just the squad, at least very initially, for instance, you, you know, we have this uh, very important Senate race in uh, California between Adam Schiff and um, two progressive Democrats, um, Barbara Lee and uh, Katie Porter. And whereas Schiff said, you know, echoed Biden and said right away, you know, all out for total support for Israel and, you know, the standard party line that both Porter and Lee, at least initially, were slightly more sort of nuanced, if you like, talked for, you know, little those elements of sort of balance in, the, in their statements. And indeed, from Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan, probably not unconnected with the fact that she has a large number of voters in her in her state from Arab countries. Um, she was quickly beaten into submission and issued a you know sort of retraction and certainly corrected her slightly mildly equivocal stance early on. But I mean, I mean, as you as you understand very well, you know, the overwhelming thing across the board has been total support for Israel. Yes, I I wonder. Um... Obviously, the, the sort of broader picture for the Biden administration is uh, another story that they're being attacked over, which is this uh, six billion in funds that was unfrozen, part of the sort of hostage release deal 
quite recently, a couple of weeks ago. And you look on Twitter or something and you'll see conservatives saying Biden paid uh, Iran six billion, which is a misreading of it. Nonetheless, it is fair to say that the Biden administration is less hawkish towards Iran than the Trump administration was. And um, and there's no doubt that there's a, a bigger geopolitical game here and that Iran is uh, allied and has supported um, Hamas and Hezbollah. And that the Biden administration might be in a tricky situation as far as the Middle East is concerned. Well, mildly so, yes. I mean, they, you know, they have been doing their best to, well, I wouldn't call it their best, but to a certain degree making moves to lower tensions with Iran, including giving them access to $6 billion of their own money, you know, which was money that had been sitting in South Korea in payment for uh, oil, oil shipments. And, you know, in a fairly, obviously a fairly complicated negotiation, it was agreed that that money would be sent by, I think, Qatar, and with a, with the very explicit conditions that uh, this be used only for humanitarian, you know, uses such as you know, medicine and food and things like that. Um, I think it's too late for uh, Biden to get the money back, even if he wants to, since the money is already in Qatari banks, and I doubt that they'll be sending it back to or freezing it or whatever is being demanded of them. I mean, this, as you say, is part of a bigger, a bigger issue, which is the determination to of the right, and it looks like probably of Israel too, to uh, to link all this to Iran. Part of this is a sort of usual feeling that, you know, oh, well, the Palestinians couldn't have done this on their own. They couldn't have planned, you know, this very artfully conceived attack without expert guidance from the Ayatollahs or their henchmen. And, you know, there's the, the, always the desire to certainly not to relieve tensions with Iran, in fact, to rack them up, which obviously the Biden administration can see is quite a dangerous game because um, Iran can retaliate in, uh, in, a, in a number of ways that they wouldn't like, wouldn't, wouldn't be too, uh, too popular here. But I think that's the, that's the real danger of the, the spread of a war, of the war to Iran, maybe via, via Lebanon and Hezbollah. This is, you know, this kind of shouts from the uh, from these Republicans you, you mentioned is predictable. It's just very interesting to see if Biden, you know, how far he'll go to sort of give on that. I don't know. Yes. Jake Sullivan, the National Security Advisor, said, I think it was last week, uh, that the Middle East is quieter than it has been in some time, which is a sort of invitation to chaos. But it certainly felt that way, uh, and it has felt that way for some years, but p- partly because of a uh, warming of relations between Israel and uh, the Gulf monarchies, and a certain sense that the Middle East has become less vital geostrategically. I wonder whether you feel that Americans think that way, is that true of people on Capitol Hill? Do, do they feel that way? Well, you know, the, the level of um, um, political acuity uh, as far as international relations on Capitol Hill is not very high. You know, as, as you know, I mean, all all foreign policy is really domestic. So they're looking to appease various uh, important constituencies, including the pro-Israel constituencies. So they're not going to delve too deeply into uh, what's really been going on in the Middle East. And the fact that Sullivan, 
actually made this statement, I thought was really striking and confirmation of just how dumb they are in a way, that they looked at the Middle East purely through the lens of, you know, I don't know, it's getting on the front page of the New York Times, but they weren't looking at was the fact that things obviously weren't calmer and in no way, no how in the sort of, you know, the in in Israel itself. You've had this increased um, uh, with the very right wing government in, in Israel. You had the attacks on the Al-Aqsa Mosque cheered on by members of the Israeli government, indeed, sort of part, with their participation. You've had, you know, increased settler violence on the West Bank, announcements uh, that, uh, you know, the settlements will, exp- will be expanded and moves towards annexation of the West Bank. How they could, n- if they notice this at all, how they could, how they might notice this and think the Middle East was getting calmer is kind of beyond me. But nevertheless, they obviously did. Do you, do you think it's because they don't really have the bandwidth to think about too many foreign policy issues at once? And obviously Ukraine has taken up a lot of the focus and they just simply haven't really been focusing on something like, Jake yeah, well, they've really had, you know, they, they have, they have been, they have been, you know, we, we've known that there's been this um, most earnest desire on the part of uh, Joe Biden himself to move uh, towards to have bring about or to foster the normalization of relations between uh, Saudi Arabia and Israel. You know, we've heard repeatedly that this this has been the prime objective, and Blinken has talked about it all the time. You know, really, this is the continue, continuation of the Trump foreign policy as um, executed by Jared Kushner, his, uh, his uh, Trump's son-in-law. I mean, there's been really no, apart from these, what I mentioned earlier, these slightly sort of de-escalatory moves with Iran, but otherwise the general aim of Mideast policy under Trump and now under Biden has been to really to secure Israel's, help Israel secure its ultimate goal which is to be accepted in the Middle East and in the process that the whole Palestinian issue would somehow go away. They could stay, keep them locked up in Gaza, keep them gradually as drive them out of the West Bank. You know, you hear Israelis talking about complete the work of 1948. And that's been, you know, that the U.S. administration has gone along with that. I mean, if they didn't think this was going to lead to a very uncalm Middle East. Uh, well, they certainly know it now, but they should have uh, noticed it then. Well, I mean, I had Lindsey Graham, uh, who, as you would expect, a very hawkish uh, Republican senator. He was saying, you know, it's time to raise Gaza and, and using very extreme language like that. I wonder to what extent you think it's possible for an American administration, whether it be Democratic or Republican, to echo the United Nations in calling for a proportionate response. Or to what extent is the debate further towards the pro-Israeli side that that becomes impossible? Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, because certainly towards the Israeli side, I mean, with Biden under attack for um, you know, what we've been discussing, his uh, these gestures towards Iran, I mean, no way is he going to allow an inch of daylight to appear between him and Netanyahu, who he likes anyway. I mean, striking that... When Biden was in Israel a little while ago, Netanyahu sort of stuck his thumb in uh, stuck his thumb in Biden's eye, announcing you know further expansion of settlements on the West Bank and all sorts of things. The Americans have sort of very quietly indicated they would rather not happen, 
and Biden was urged to cut short his trip. This is very rather insulting to Biden to cut short his trip and come home, and he refused. No, no, he was he, you know he was sticking with his friend Bibi. So there is no possibility, I think, for the foreseeable future for any, you know, for any change in American policy. You know, sending you know carrier fleets to the to the uh, to the Eastern Mediterranean, all that. It's all adding to the. Uh, it's rhetoric, but it's indicating that's where their hearts are. I would say, you know, this all this talk about this is Israel's nine eleven. This is, you know, I wonder if people here or certainly the administration is thinking about well, what, what, what happened with nine eleven? I mean, apart from the initial sort of horror of the terrorist attack, you know, what happened then? Well, we had, uh, you know, the commencement of the war on terror with. Ultimately, you know, rather disastrous results for America, driven out of Afghanistan, sort of driven out of Iraq, you know, and leading, you know, the implemented the Patriot Act we had here, which turned this country into much more of a sort of national security state, attenuation of civil liberties. All that comes with a 9-11. And the more I think they talk about Israel's not 9-11, it's sort of, it becomes our, our sort of our 9-11 mark two again here. I think it's going to, I think the results will be, I mean, I'm very gloomy about what the way things will go with this. Yeah. And I suppose another point would be that uh, they, every time uh, this has happened before, when Israel has an aggressive response, it's often argued that they are creating another generation of terrorists of all the people who have their families killed and so on. And that the, the, the dynamics of the conflict always remain in place because the same things keep happening. Well, that's right. And, uh, you know, the, the, the responses are the same. Yeah, there was a brief back long, long ago now in the um, early 80s when, you know, Reagan did actually protest or, or rather forcefully protest to the Israeli then in government, uh, Prime Minister Begin about the bombing of West Beirut. Remember, they were indiscriminately bombing West Beirut. And finally, Reagan, you know, demanded that that be stopped, which it was, um, or at least lessened. Uh, before that, Jimmy Carter, when uh, Israel, one of its uh, incursions into invasions of Lebanon, Jimmy Carter, actually, I happen to know, wrote a letter to Begin, which was hand-delivered by the then deputy ambassador in uh, Tel Aviv, Dick Veitz. And the letter said, unless you withdraw immediately from Lebanon, as you said you were going to do, I will move to introduce a a resolution in the UN (laughs) condemning this. Begin went white when he read this and said, "Okay, you win, and did as as he was told. Those days are long gone. Uh, Now, no... American president is, would ever dare talking to the Israelis like that. And certainly it's not going to happen this time. And I suppose you, you yourself come at this issue from, a, from a, a, a left-wing American perspective, I think that's fair to say. And I mean, I wonder whether, do you find in conversation... I'm a, I'm a mixed bag. <laughs> but do, do you find in conversation your understanding of uh, Israel-Palestine dynamics, it, whether you're talking to Democrats or Republicans... Are you persona non grata socially, if you if you say what you think? No, not anymore. Outside the sort of political sphere, no people are people are 
have been getting have been getting smarter than that. I mean, you've seen these polls which show now more Democrats, for example, are prepared. A majority of Demo- or plurality of Democrats are prepared to you know say to support. Palestinian issues than, you know, wholehearted support for Israel. That may have changed in the last few days. I'm, I don't know. I haven't seen any polls on that. But that's certainly been, you know, a much commented on drift among the sort of rank and liberal, ra- liberal rank and file. As you mentioned at the beginning, it's found some expression in the, in the squad, not much beyond that, but uh, it's certainly a trend. There's the diaspora element to it too in in both Britain uh, and other Western countries and of course America but it's worse in Britain in because of the extent to which uh, multiculturalism has developed I'd say in British cities and you now have a, a strong rallying cause for Israel is the fact that you have very often Muslim men in the streets chanting obscene things about Jews firing fireworks at the Israeli embassy and so on and it has become a, a kind of right-wing anti-multiculturalism issue. It, it, it triggers that, that, does it not? Yes, I haven't, uh, interesting point, I haven't really seen much sign of that here. I mean, you've had, it's been quite interesting in the last few days that you've had, you know, pro, I guess you have to call them pro-Hamas demonstrations, you know, in front of the, there was a sort of, mini riot in New York, I think, yesterday, you know, around the country, you've seen quite sort of, I mean, I've, I've been surprised at that, actually, which I don't think is really, I haven't noticed it happening before. So there is, but and I, I dare say, this will be included in the Republican sort of, you know, their refrains about wokeism, that somehow wokeism equals, will equal terrorism or something. I'm sure they'll pick this up. But it's, um, you know, there's been interesting, going back to sort of the point about, you know, left-wing protests on this, it was very interesting, the Harvard Students Association, you know, are now coming under outraged attack for their actually fairly sort of moderate, even-handed statement about the causes of this crisis in, in Israel and Gaza. So that's, I thought another interesting thing was the New York University Law, uh, New York University Law School a students association put out a statement uh, sort of again sort of expressing even-handed a certain degree of even-handedness as as it so happened the uh, president of that group or the leader of that group who is jewish by the way was ha- instantly had a job offer or a summer job offer from a leading new york law firm withdrawn immediately punished i've seen it, it, it's been both the there's been signs of protest or you know not totally hewing to the israeli line sort of people expressing those sort of opinions and an immediate sort of very fierce sort of counterblast in fact the names of those of the people who signed the harvard declaration now being circulated on wall street with um, the suggestions that no one on that list should ever be given a job so it's a sort of contradictions are heightening here maybe Yes. I mean, you know, I'm not going to do that um, mainstream TV thing of saying, you know, you do denounce, do you not? But uh, I mean, you know, Ilan Omar, we go back to the squad story at the beginning. Ilan Omar is a member of the squad who's very critical of Israel and has said some pretty anti-Semitic things, I think. She is 
make it quite obvious that she's not going to condemn violence against Israelis. And inevitably, that does lead to anger at their position, and, and probably rightly so. Well, I agree. I mean, I think it's very, you know, it's in the past, she's sort of when she's come out with those sort of statements, I mean, then she's been, you know, after a call from Nancy Pelosi or wherever, she's retreated. Um, and obviously, one should, of course, you should condemn, I mean, the slaughtering all those kids at the music festival. What was the point of that? Although, you know, maybe people were, I mean, of course, it should be condemned. I condemn it. But, you know, when you, you know, this is what you get. I mean, I, th I think some people, quite a few people will understand this, you know, when you invade Iraq, you end up with ISIS. You know, that's, um, it doesn't lead to, <laughs> it has a bad result. That's why we complain about it. That's why we complain about these sort of policies. And you get a very sort of vicious, cruel, terroristic response, which much to be denounced and lamented as well. But as the old joke says, you know, you shouldn't, shouldn't start from here. When you say this is what you get, you're not venturing onto slightly dangerous territory there because, I mean, you're talking about this is what you get for the occupation of the of the territory. Or you're talking about this is what you get for suppression. Well, no, what you get for refusing to address the underlying issues. If you, if you, you know, if you refuse to in any way, you know, sort of comprehend what it is that, you know, the the other side, so to speak, the Palestinians are, are feeling over, over the decades, you, you will get certain sections of them assuming, you know, becoming, turning into extremely vicious terrorists. I mean, this isn't, you know, it was horrible enough when the, um, when you had that Palestinian campaign a few years ago, some years ago of, uh, you know, uh, suicide bombings in Israeli cities blowing up perfectly innocent people. That was to be condemned, but it was, not surprising. I mean, that's all I'm trying to say is you shouldn't be surprised when you get people, you know, groups reacting in this way and deciding it's a good idea that they're going to get some benefit from behaving in this horrible fashion. Well, I suppose the thing that has surprised people is the intelligence failure that uh, such an attack could have been planned and carried out without Israel's very sophisticated intelligence systems and America's even more sophisticated intelligence systems picking up on the on the danger. Uh, is that something that people are talking about in Washington? Uh, well, they, they should be. I mean, there's, there hasn't been enough comment, in my view, of how, you know, how blind they were. I mean, what, 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 what happens, very interesting, which was, you know, the Israelis pride themselves on, you know, the, the Palestinians are the most surveyed community probably on earth. You know, there's informers, um, there's, you know, overhead surveillance all the time for years. They basically knew or thought they knew the you know, location and activities and words and statements and everything, everything, as, you know, as they, um, the head of um, Shin Bet said a month ago, um, or as a commentary on a speech of his, that uh, they know everything about everybody. And they thought they did. What Hamas very artfully was able to do was to channel the sort of the Israeli orientation, I mean, what they thought was going on. And they did that by putting out word and doing things that made the Israelis and the Americans think, 
and I guess Jake, including Jake Sullivan, that they would decide to behave more responsibly. They were concentrating on the economic development of Gaza. They were, you know, concentrating on getting more work permits from people from Gaza and be able to work in Israel. And so, you know, the Israelis relaxed. So when, this is what's so interesting, when at the same time, the, the Hamas was doing things clearly indicating they were up to something. For example, in the uh, inside Gaza, they constructed a mock a mock up of a, an Israeli settlement and practiced, you know, had people training on how to assault it, which the Israelis had to have seen with all their drones and satellites and everything else. And yet that was discounted. That was considered just sort of um, Hamas putting on a show to appease their own population. It's, you know, it's all in the interpretation. So they were able to do that. You know, they were into, there were drone shipments into Gaza from Israel that were being, you know, occasionally intercepted. Again, they thought, well, oh, well, more drones for wedding photographs or something. And it was all discounted. So, uh, you know, that was why they were able to achieve. To what extent do you think that might be down to the fact that Netanyahu, to a large extent, and America and, and other Western powers who are interested in the region, allowed Hamas to be built up, to be supported by Qatar and even by Iran to a certain extent, because it was felt to be useful to divide and conquer them between between Palestinians, between Hamas and other, other power factions in Palestine. Well, it is true. I mean, you know, Hamas was basically founded a generation ago with the assistance and encouragement of uh, Israeli intelligence for, for just the reasons you say. They wanted to to undercut the... PLO, Fatah, um, so, and they thought, well, if we get them sort of, you know, this is a religious group, so we'll sort of, you know, they'll be more interested in religion and it'll, um, you know, they won't be such a sort of, you know, the, the, the threat in those days was considered the secular threat posed by Arafat and people. And so they did, you know, the Hamas was built up for those reasons and sort of encouraged. And then it's turned out, it's turned into this. I mean, to a certain extent, the, the policy was successful in that the PLO, the Palestine Authority on the West Bank, has in a way of some reason have been con- uh, accused of being surrogates for the Israeli occupation. And they certainly cooperate on security and so forth. So they've been sort of neutered. But instead, you would had Hamas turning into something very nasty from the Israeli point of view, indeed. Foreign affairs normally don't seem to factor into American elections. But I wonder, do you think there is an election coming up this year? How do you think this story may develop as part of the election? Might it be become a part of it? I wonder. I mean, you already got Ukraine has become part of the election, you know, because of the sort of you know, huge amount of American support for, for Ukraine. So that's already, as you as I know you've seen, you know, has led to a deep split in the Republican Party. Uh, you know, part of the reasons that you've had this revolt in the Republican caucus in the House of Representatives. So Ukraine has already been part of it, is already part of it. And, you know, Biden has been hoping, the Democrats have been hoping desperately that somehow Ukraine would go away in time for the election, which it's obviously not going to do. Now, the whole question of, you know, repeated need to have votes to vote more money to Ukraine, which the Republicans are balky at. Will Israel be part of it? I mean, Biden's wanted to tie them together so that he can, you know, 
if you support you Israel, then you have to at the same time be supporting Ukraine as well, and therefore vote money for both at the same time. I wonder. It's. Um, I think it's too early to say. It's. Um, you know, none of the. Uh, there's no candidate. I mean, even well, both the both the sort of insurgent candidates on the Democrat. Well, Bobby Kennedy has now left the Democratic Party, but both him and Marianne Williamson are very vociferous in their support for Israel. So that's certainly, they're certainly not going to be criticizing it. But again, I think it's too early to say. I think it's certain that Ukraine will continue to be part of the election. Well, uh, Zelensky, uh, in his statements about the attacks in Israel, he he's called, said this is terrorism and said, you know, we're experiencing terrorism in, in Ukraine. And uh, I mean, the word terrorism is sort of att- being attached to things and, and becoming a kind of definitional point about whether something is right or wrong, whether it should be called terror or not. And that is, I think, as you were alluding to at the beginning, that is a sign that the war on terror is still with us, even if it seems to be out, out the window to some extent. Well, everyone uses it. You know, terrorism has become so debased as a, you know, in rhetoric that uh, everyone uses it. Uh, you know, Russian attacks on Ukrainian cities, that's terrorism. Ukrainian attacks on Russian cities, the Russians call terrorism. Um, you know, it's a, in a way, the, the word is losing its its validity because everyone uses it. Everyone, you know, well, because of the war on terror, the other side does is terrorists. I mean, I think because of the war on terror, well, it was around before then, but it certainly that certainly put it front and center. Uh, it hasn't gone away. Um, you know, clearly slaughtering a bunch of young people at a music festival. That's I'd call that terrorism, but. Um, but I don't think it. I don't think it has the impact it, it used to. I mean, you, in Virginia, where I live, I mean, you I think you can still get an, a license plate that says "Fight Terrorism," but I haven't seen one lately. Uh, Andrew, we'll end it there. But thank you very much for coming on to Americana. It was very good to hear a very different perspective from America. All right, you're always welcome. Thank you very much for listening to the Americano podcast. I would like to thank my brilliant producer Natasha Faroz and the rest of the Spectators broadcast team. If you like the podcast, please leave a review on whatever platform you are listening to us on. Thank you very much. God bless America.